I'm Stephen John Drew from Better Podcasting, a podcast about podcasting, part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find fantastic geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. You are listening to the Starling Tribune, a podcast dedicated to the Arrow TV show. I am the Green Arrow. The Green Arrow has entered through the front door. This podcast is not produced or maintained by The CW, Warner Brothers Television, CTV, or DC Comics. All characters, situations, and stories are the properties of Time Warner. I am the Oracle, and this is your Tribune. Welcome back to Earth 2's last remaining newspaper. We call it the Starling Tribune, and we are broadcasting from our Earth one shelter, at least for now. A little spoiler on that for the next time. I'm the chief editor, well, the only editor left, SP, and your other award-winning reporters for this special episode number 259 of the Starling Tribune is Chris. Whoever you are, I'm just a guy working on this farm. Yeah, and... I don't know. If you have a daughter and they have a little toy tractor, does it make sense to that be out in the pasture? Possibly. Who knows? Kids play with toys everywhere. I did when I was a kid. Yeah. And talking about the yeah there, that is the award-winning reporter, Michelle. I kind of promised our crew they'd never have to do another crossover. Do you blame her? No, I don't blame her, but breaking that fourth wall again. Yep, breaking that fourth wall just like they did last week. It, I liked it. It was fun. I did, too. This podcast is recorded on Thursday, December 19, 2019, live on Live. That's right, and this evening we'll be discussing the most recent episode of Crisis, that's part two, as well as news, interviews, articles, and announcements that have dropped recently that could let's be honest, probably will impact future episodes of Arrow, as well as The Flash, Supergirl, Legends of Tomorrow, and the rest of the universe. A friendly reminder, if you are watching this podcast live right now or listening at a later date, we are only covering part two. We might talk briefly about some parts from part one while we're discussing part two, but there will be no focus on parts three, four, or five of Crisis. So if you're trying to avoid spoilers for future episodes, you are safe to listen along here. If you're new to the show, thank you for searching us out on the internet and joining us. After the show, you can check out our content at GoingToGeek.com. We can also find other geeky videos, podcasts, and articles. Thanks, guys. Michelle, we've missed you for the past two weeks. It's great to see you again. It's great to be back. All right. So why don't you take the initiative and save our audience from both Chris and I muddling through what we watched this week and why don't you bring our listener through it? Sure thing. This is about Crisis on Infinite Earths Part 2. It's Batwoman Season 1, Episode 9. It aired Monday, December 9, 2019. Directed by Laura Belzey. Credits include one Batwoman, seven Arrow, one of The Flash, and two The Walking Dead. Written by Don Whitehead. Credits include two episodes of Batwoman, two Stitchers, and 13 Smallville. And Holly Henderson. Credits include two Batwoman, two Stitchers, and 13 Smallville. All right. So as we discussed last time, there were a total of four episodes on the CW that were DC superhero related. You had Supergirl airing on Sunday the 8th of December, 
that was the episode we podcasted about last time. It was season five, episode nine, and they had a live rating of 1.67. The title, by the way, is Crisis on Infinite Earths Part One. Batwoman, this is the episode we're talking about today. Part duh had a live rating of 1.71. Black Lightning followed Batwoman on Monday, the 9th of December with the Book of Resistance, Chapter 4, Earth Crisis, which we touched upon briefly last time, had a live rating of 0.90. And on Tuesday, The Flash aired the ninth episode of the sixth season titled Crisis on Infinite Earths Part 3, which we will not discuss on this episode. We'll discuss it on the next episode. It had a live rating of point. Seven one. As we discussed last time, these ratings are pretty good, and I'm still looking for the Live Plus 3 or Live Plus 7 numbers. We might get into those next time to see exactly how they did in the viewings. They probably did go up. Oh, I'm sure it did. And as you've discussed before, Michelle, they probably went up about a, at least a million apiece because that's just normal for CW. It is. And also, we have the holiday season. My mom is a little upset that she didn't realize that the next parts were until January. So I'm wondering if some might not even wait. They might like keep it on their DVR or wait on the app until January. So that way then they could watch one, two, and three and then move right into four and five. Something to be said for that. I mean, if you're someone who's not worried about a passing spoiler or you're not having water cooler conversation about these shows, You could sort of get away with that. We couldn't because we're podcasting about it, but I'm trying to think if we weren't doing the podcast, whether I would do that. And part of me thinks I would have that grand plan, but I would cave because I want to enjoy the spectacle of it. See, the problem is a lot of things came out about the same week, and it is a holiday week, as Michelle pointed out, in that a lot of stuff happens in December. So you might have office holiday parties. You're getting ready for the holidays. You might be buying presents. So you're a little bit busier than you normally are. And you might just not have time to watch all these episodes live on the night that it comes out. It kind of happened to me where I got the first one. I think I got the second one, uh, this one that we're talking about right now live. But then I kind of pushed the others off a, a day or two just because stuff was piling up and different things happen. But that Friday, there was a lot that fell. You had The Expanse that fell, which I haven't watched any. And I'm a huge Expanse guy. So I'll take that for example. I did wait for The Expanse to watch that later when I had time to enjoy it and binge it and just have fun with it. We also, Michelle and I, podcast on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. One of the series that we're podcasting on is called The Runaways, and that dropped on Hulu that same weekend. So there's just a lot of stuff that's dropping. And if you're like me, you're watching Hallmark holiday movies. Yeah, I get it. Not everybody does. But it just stuff starts piling up and you have to decide what you want to try to watch and what you want to savor for later. I don't think I would have savored these for later. I think I would have tried to watch them in that week. And if I didn't get it in the week, I would have binged expanse and then moved on to uh, the holidays and the week that I had off, I would probably would have watched the rest of it. I don't know what the rest is because you have these four shows and then you also had the two after shows i watched the first crisis after show i didn't watch the second one yet you made it better than i did i watched uh, 20 minutes of the first one i went yeah i'm done that that's enough of this and i didn't even attempt to watch the second one because i've learned one thing walk uh, podcasting about the walking dead in the past the talking shows afterwards tend to annoy me more than anything because i don't think 
it's as easy to develop your own opinions or to let, for lack of a better term, the episode sit and digest if you start hearing other people's analysis immediately. And so I just haven't gotten to him yet. And I like Kevin Smith, but he's not a great TV host, I don't think, because he's he's very movementy. And those that are watching the video right now see me flailing my hands around and stuff, and it's kind of distracting. Not a shot at Kevin Smith, just an observation before anyone starts sending me hate mail. I think they had to do the after show after the first episode because of Oliver's death. Yeah. So that Mark Guggenheim could pat himself on the back on that. Yeah, that's fair. He did take a bow during that bit, effectively. He did. He was giddy about it. He was like, oh, this is going to work great. Well, as we discussed last time, both of us really didn't have a hit on that. Okay, so. Yes. Why don't we move from the after show to this actual hour of crisis? It's, of course, part two. The multiverse is still in danger. But hey, let's go on a side quest about Oliver. Oliver is dead. Everyone is sad. I do like how it kind of started with the ladies pouring one out for Oliver. We had Kara, Kate, and Sarah. And then there was this whole Barry and Iris moment. And Barry, of all people, is suggesting putting Oliver to a Lazarus pit. Now, I don't know if you've been watching Flash or not, but if you have been, I'm going to spoil it. <gasps> this whole part of the season with Barry has been about crisis and preparing his team and Iris and everything for living without him and living in this post-crisis world. And he knows how important everything is. And I know Barry and Oliver are like the original besties. I think you're kind of telling from my tone, I'm not really enjoying the whole side quest part of it. And for some reason, Barry being along with it, I think is my biggest part. But why don't I toss it over to Chris? How do you feel about this? I'm not a huge fan of this side plot. I understand what they're going to go and try and set up with it. But if there's anything we learned on our Earths, Lazarus pits are not necessarily the smartest way to resurrect people. We saw what it did to Thea. We saw what it did to Sarah. And Sarah has the experience of how it basically just ruined her life for a time until she's able to get the bloodlust under control. And part of me goes, is this really something Oliver Queen would want? Is you to use a Lazarus pit from another Earth to bring him back and then try and find some way to bring his soul back also? And Barry being on board with it and John Diggle not being involved in it? Those are all things that kind of had me scratching my head a little bit because I'm pretty sure had Diggle been involved, he'd been going, no, 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 this is a bad idea. This isn't what Oliver would want. This isn't what is right to be done. I mean, they didn't even mention or tell Felicity that her husband's dead to get any kind of input as to whether they should try and save him via the Lazarus pit. So I kind of struggled with it. I understood why his daughter wanted to bring him back because she wants her dad back. They've reached this point where they kind of actually have a relationship. She's gotten to know her father, and she can't quite accept the fact he's gone. So I understand her motivation, but why Sarah goes along with it, and why no one else is really brought in, and why Barry goes along with it, I just don't get it. It doesn't make sense other than because we waved the magical plot wand around and said this is what we're going to do to get Barry off on his own side quest for a little bit. Such as Barry, it's several members of the team, but that's beside the point. What I have a problem with is whole planets, whole universes have been destroyed. And you've got the bulk of Earth-38, the people have been destroyed, or at least half. You have all this devastation, and the one person you're crying over is Oliver? 
okay, yeah, he's been a great part of this super friends for lack of better term we'll get into that later don't sing the song <laughs> <laughs> i want to i totally want to but he is kind of not that necessary and i have a question on whether he is necessary for was it necessary to bring him back in this episode and we have some answers to that next episode which we'll get into next time but then there is the two episodes in January, was it really necessary to bring him back right away and divert from everything else going on? It's just a plot point. I will say, and I think I mentioned in our Discord channel, the fact that they immediately, the ver- one of the very first things they do in this episode is talk about how to resurrect Oliver Queen after they just killed him off in part one kind of diminishes that whole, oh, look how smart we are. We killed Oliver Queen off in episode one instead of doing it in three, four, or five like you were all expecting. Because effectively the death is just a MacGuffin to get him off screen for a little bit it seems like now that very well could change in part three we're not going to talk anything about part three stuff but as we were going through part two I was going there has to be some kind of catch they're setting up for part three here this I, I don't understand why they're moving so fast here I don't know I just struggle with the rightness factor of it and the fact that pretty much everyone around should know that this is probably not the right thing to do you've got bigger problems Oliver's not even one of the paragons that you have to go and find. Finding the Paragon should be your priority. Oliver Queen, yes, it sucks that he's dead. He played a huge part in helping to save Earth-38 as long as he could, bring all these people together to begin with, but the more important thing here is trying to fix Crisis. And I'm not sure, as skilled as he is, the reintroduction of Oliver Queen with his bow and arrow and martial arts skill is really going to turn the tide in Crisis, especially if he is not one of the seven Paragons. I would definitely have to agree what's really upsetting me is what happens which is in part three and i know we're not talking about part three and i'll save it for then but like right now we still have so many questions they kept showing nash becoming pariah at the end of every single episode i know you guys touched on this last week and this is part of like coming into here we don't get any development with that relationship we don't get any really development with lila as harbinger and for some reason she's leaving diggle at home this is obviously a script not touched by anyone who works with arrow or for some reason they dismiss the arrow people because we know that sarah would have said no to this we know diggle would have said no to this thea would have said no to this oliver would technically say no to this So part of me wonders if some of what is left out here is what they're trying to put into that tie-in comic that they announced that's out there. And I'll be honest, I haven't been able to find it anywhere. I assume it's available digitally. I haven't tried to purchase it there. What I do know, like some of the things they reveal in that comic is the monitor basically telling Felicity that her husband's dead, probably because they don't have Emily Bett Records signed on to do the show right now, so they can't do it on screen. So there are events happening in there that make sense or that tie into things and i believe they even explain the absence of wally west in issue one of the tie-in because a lot of people are going wait a second we've got barry here where the hell's wally he should play an important role in things so i don't know maybe some of the developments of the harbinger are covered in that i sort of get why they did the comic tie-in because they can't fit everything on screen in a five-hour arc at least they think they can't there's arguably some stuff they could probably cut to do it i don't know But you're right. It feels like we're missing some stuff. And going from last week's frantic pace to where 
so many things are going on at one time. They're juggling about six balls in the air at one time. Going to then this week where we've got a few different side quests and the pace slows down a lot. It felt like this is a moment to take a breath and maybe address some of those things, such as what's the deal with Lila being called Harbinger now? What do her powers entail? What can she do? What is she potentially vulnerable to? And oh yeah, Oliver Queen's dead. Where's the rest of Team Arrow? Shouldn't they be informed? Because maybe that's part of what's bothering me on all this is nobody from Team Arrow has really been informed that the leader of Team Arrow is dead. And then you've got Lila. You mentioned her, you both mentioned her. So Lila is Harbinger at the beginning of Crisis. She is taken, she comes back, she is Harbinger. And then in this episode, she's Lila again at the beginning. She's like, oh, I'm with John, but I had John left with JJ, and now I'm here. And she's Lila. She's not Harbinger. And then the whole thing happens with the Book of Destiny and her massive headaches, and then she gets taken to the Anti-Monitor. Is she Lila or is she Harbinger? Is Harbinger a character that can exist within an existing person like Lila? Or is Harbinger a whole separate personality? I don't know. And they're not helping at all with what happened last episode and this episode. And if you've read the comic, what Harbinger is and what Pariah is, is important because especially since comic book spoiler here, we don't have baby Alexander and we're not getting that. So there's a hole that needs to be filled. And it seems as though building the towers isn't the plot point as it was in the comic book. And just this whole idea of different characters having to come together from all these different earths and having to build these things. That's part of, I think, what made Crisis interesting as, as the book. Even more fan servicing moment that we really didn't need. Yes, Jonah Hex being there in North Dakota and we see the scar and it was a cool fight. That was interesting, but I would have liked to have known more about, we haven't really even seen the Monitor and Harbinger really interact. Yeah, and I agree with you on the Jonah Hex stuff. It was cool to see, but it's not really necessary. It's a Jonah Hex on another Earth that we're never going to meet. Sarah gets a cool line out of it, at least that's how you get the scar on this earth or some of that effect. It's great, but it's a fan service moment. And there's lots of fan service moments in crisis. So I'm not dogging on that, but for some of the other things that are going on, I think it kind of felt a little unnecessary, but again, I don't know what all they're trying to do in this tie in comic. Maybe the tie in comic is the thing that helps ease some of these concerns I have where they're doing some more of the story development that we really needed on some of these folks. I know it was great to get the different characters in the different worlds. But the Wave Rider coming in as the Earth-74 Wave Rider, I mean, it was great having Leonard instead of Gideon as the voice. It really was. But why not use the actual Wave Rider? Why not use Gideon? Is there a reason why we had to use the Earth-74 Wave Rider? Because they're not involved in the crossover, just as Sarah says in the beginning. So I think part of it is being able to because of what happened at the season finale of Legends of Tomorrow, where the monitor was there and the thing with Zari happened and she's outside of the Wave Rider, outside of the temporal zone. And then we get that weird, it's her brother instead of her. And I think leaving the majority of the Legends out, leaving that white Wave Rider out of the crossover is basically them not having to deal with it in crisis 
So that way then it can just be, okay, we just pulled Sarah here and we pulled Ray here. We just need Ray's lab, which is on this wave rider. We don't need this other wave rider that is having all these temporal issues. We just need Sarah. We just need Ray. I think it might also be from a production standpoint that they realized, oh crap, if we bring in the wave rider from this earth, that means all of these characters are on it too. And we're already having a hard enough time juggling all the characters you've got on screen. So let's go to another earth where the wave rider is effectively abandoned besides for Mick Rory. And we can use that then because that's a lot more characters they've got to juggle and a lot more people going, well, my favorite is character X and they didn't get enough time in this episode. You know, it's tough to do when you insert, what, five more characters, six more characters in? So we have the Supergirl episode, we have the Batwoman episode, and next time is going to be the Flash episode. What are the final two episodes? One of them's Arrow, right? What's the other one? A special episode of Legends. It's not the season premiere. It's just a special episode of Legends. But they are part of the crossover. Well, kind of, but not really. Okay, I'm lost on that. The crossover is not part of their season is effectively what they're doing here is that oh. the legend season begins after the crossover. So whatever the fallout is of crisis on infinite earths, that is where legends of tomorrow season six starts or whatever the next season is, is they're not interrupting the events of their season. Similar to the other shows it is their season starts after it's over. So they effectively peeled off an episode of legends to use as a special edition. That is really just crisis part five. Calling it Legends of Tomorrow, I think, is just a technicality. Yeah, because they couldn't give it to, like, two Arrow. You can't have, like, two Arrow episodes. You have to, like, well, we have this fifth hour. Where are we going to put it? We can't put it with Black Lightning. What's the other show that's kind of been part of a crossover before? Oh, Legends. Let's just make a special episode, and we'll call it Legends of Tomorrow. See, I missed that. I thought Legends was part of the crossover. I thought we were going to get the entire Legends crew in this. Not necessarily. All right. Now, you might get more of them in the final part. I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me. But I think they were trying to make a point of not having all of them in here because it complicates a lot of what they have to do with even more characters in play. I can't be the only one that has a problem with that part of the crossover. There's got to be listeners and fans of the CW shows that have a problem with that as well. I understand what you guys are saying. I get it. I just think that it's like, why? Why when we're... Having all these other shows participate, why this is special, but okay. Well, I mean, it's the same reason the only person they brought out of Black Lightning, presumably, is going to be Black Lightning himself, we've seen from the previews. I assume the rest of the characters aren't going to show up, because again, way too much stuff to juggle, I think, is what we're running into. It would be extremely difficult to bring any other character from Black Lightning into the show at this point, yes. After watching their episode, which aired right after this. So as we discussed last week, it was a unique way to bring Black Lightning into the crossover without being a part of the crossover or build up with a monitor or anything like that. They actually played it as we're a universe that is being exposed to the antimatter, but they didn't even know it was antimatter. Well, so we've covered the Lazarus Pit and the Wave Rider. I want to get on to the topic that I want to say one for last, but right now I want to go to Batman because Kevin Conroy, I know Chris and I, we are huge fans of the animated series. Seeing him not as the paramount, not as like the Batman with the code, but as the older, bitter, wearing the exoskeleton suit. 
and like I knew Kevin Conroy as a voice actor, but just seeing him on screen, he really was good for that. Yes. Kevin Conroy is an immensely talented actor. We mostly associate him with voice acting, but he's done other things, been in live action productions before, he's done Broadway and stage work before. He's a phenomenal actor, and too many people, like Michelle said, he is our Batman. When I read a Batman comic book or read a book about Batman, the voice I hear in my head is Kevin Conroy. So from the very beginning when they announced this casting, I was totally on board with it. I took what I put in Discord and pulled it on from our channel and put it in the notes. What I had said there, just because I wanted to remember it, was I said they took my Batman and put him in live action. Normally, I'd complain about Mark Guggenheim and his need to defy expectations of fans. However, I actually liked it here. To many people, Kevin Conroy is the definitive edition of Batman, one who never kills, one who does everything right. To take this version and have him be a broken version, similar to Dark Knight Returns Batman, was not what I expected. And seeing Kevin Conroy pull off broken Batman, both physically and mentally, was quite the show. He was phenomenal. I was not expecting, and I'm pretty sure the rest of us here were not expecting a Batman that had broken his promise to never kill and had pretty much wiped out all of his enemies, including his perceived enemy of Superman, and had them as trophies in Wayne Manor. It was not what I expected, but I loved how they played with my expectations there. I didn't have any expectations because I didn't know Kevin Conroy. I wasn't part of the Batman. I didn't watch the cartoons or anything like that. What got me, though, was that they brought in somebody who had played a Batman. They brought him in to this crossover, and they actually were able to use Batman. Now, they didn't use Batcave, although we get that in Batwoman because she's using Bruce's Batcave. We didn't get any of the actual, you know, what you would say iconic Batman stuff that we've all seen in the movies, or at least I've seen in the movies. They were in the cave briefly at the end because that's where Kate and Bruce had their confrontation. And we actually, if you catch it real quick, I meant to screen grab and I didn't. You can actually see a vehicle that has like a tarp over it, and you can see the fin of the 1989 Batmobile sticking out from underneath there. And I saw it, watched it live, reviewed it, and went, oh my god, it's actually real, and forgot to screen cap it. So they did go down into the cave, but very briefly, because that's where they had their final confrontation where Bruce dies. Nice. I don't know if I mentioned it on the show before or not, but I do personally know somebody that owns a 66 Batman mobile not the batman mobile that was used in the show but he, he found the 66 car and he converted it he's owns his own auto shop so he did that and he's in the process of creating the 89 batmobile as well and it is not going to be jet powered it's just going to be engine Damn. powered yeah, i know but <laughs> i mean to have it to have the silhouette right i didn't ask him if he was going to have any of those i don't know bat things that go off to grab light posts to make it turn better or not but <laughs> He actually does a bunch of charity stuff with it. He goes out to festivals and, and whatever. And then he has people dress up as the different characters and they go into hospitals and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But it's really neat to actually see one of them in person because he did build it to scale. It's the actual nice. you know, form of Batmobile. He did a lot of research to do the forms on it and stuff like that. So I am going to go back and watch that just to see that film because I love that as infeasible as it is, I love that 89 Batmobile. I've got one on my Christmas tree too. A little Hallmark ornament, but it's still, it's a Batmobile on my Christmas tree. It counts. So yeah, Kevin Conroy here was great. I loved how they teased that this was a Batman from beyond when they started referencing that it was a Batman in the future. 
And part of me went, oh my God, are they going to make this be Terry McGinnis? I didn't think they actually were, but the nice little subtle nod to a Batman Beyond reference, I did enjoy there. But yeah, Kevin Conroy, it's great to see him get to be Batman on screen himself because he is Batman. And I really enjoyed that it's our world finest that we're getting on the CW, our Batwoman and Supergirl. We got Kate and Kara going. I really love that moment where Kate gets rejected and, and then it's just like, yeah, go ahead, kick the door down. And Ruby Rose, I love her as Batwoman. And seeing her have like this character growth, not only just as Kate Kane, but as Batwoman with her interactions with Bruce was really great to see. You know, I could see why this is appropriate for the Batwoman episode for them to let's go meet Batman. Because it was important because what the monitor said is that the path will lead to the Paragon of Courage. And she actually had that moment where she stood up for what's actually right and not just blindly following her, her cousin Bruce, actually realizing I need to stand up to him, even though I've idolized him forever or had problems with him. That the path can be hers, too. She doesn't just need to walk on Bruce's path, which is... The implication I had sort of gotten, I haven't watched any of Batwoman yet this season, that it was more of, she's just been following what Bruce has set forth, is now it, it's your path. You dictate what Batwoman's going to do for Gotham City. Don't try and be like Batman, be Batwoman. And side note, Ruby Rose and Kevin Conroy played off of each other very well in here. Kevin Conroy had done some interviews saying he was surprised at how well they vibed, like, right at the very start. And you could tell that these two actors meshed very well together. I wouldn't be surprised if we see them on the screen again in the future in Batwoman, which would be great. By the way, Monitor said this is the Batman of the future, meant that Batwoman will be the Batman of the future, at least through this CW universe shows. So what they're saying is you're not going to get Batman, but this is your Batman. Okay, I'm in. I love it. He says the bat of the future, not the Batman of the future. He says the bat of the future. Well, I can't believe I've actually have withheld this because i really wanted to talk about it first but oh my god we got tom welling i know we did not get him in the suit and i'm disappointed that we did not get him in the suit but we got him at the farm being all like the brawny man which is a joke that was told on smallville for those of us who are smallville fans we kind of know that and there he was i loved it i can't I mean, I am disappointed we don't get him to be like Superman. He's just the guy on the farm. But when John Cryer's Lex Luthor comes along, it's this great interaction. You know, he takes the kryptonite and throws it and he gets to punch him. Still stronger after he punches him too. <laughs> yeah, it's just, oh my God. I just, oh. That has fueled a lot of speculation, by the way. A lot of people are asking, well, did he have a blue kryptonite undershirt on or a ring somewhere that we didn't see, or, or a necklace, or, or something like that, that might have counteracted the effects, and like he didn't give up his powers, but he just told Lex he gave up his powers. Whatever. I think it was a fun thing to watch. I'm not a Smallville fan, it was a fun scene to watch. I kind of wonder if it was necessary at all, but I think... In the terms of the plot in this, it was kind of necessary because it made Lex go from wanting to kill Superman to want a Superman to kill another Superman. I think that was the evolution that needed to happen, but maybe I'm missing the point. 
it made me see what they're going to do with Michael Rosenbaum there potentially had he come back. Now, I don't think Cryer's uh, Lex Luthor was bad there. I was also on board with the blue kryptonite theory. When I went back and rewatched it, I didn't see any evidence of it on like a wedding ring or a necklace or anything like that. So I'm going to assume magic of some kind that got rid of his powers. I don't know. Like I said in the Discord, I'm a bit conflicted here because I'm salty. I never got Clark Kent from Smallville in the Superman suit other than in the comics. It's something I really wanted to see. But I think it's a good send-off for Clark because remember, watching Smallville, especially in the earlier seasons, a lot of his narrative was how he wanted to be a normal person or how he wanted to fit in. And the powers, he would use them to help people, but it was always kind of hanging over his head that he didn't really want them, but he would use them to help others. So he sort of gets his happy ending here is he got to help others and now he gets to raise his kids with the woman he loves on his farm. So he's getting to live that normal life he wanted. So I think it's a good send off for the character. I think that's how they got Tom Welling to come back because they're like, look, it's going to be the final part for Clark. Close out that arc. Here's what you get to do. I was leaning toward, I don't know how I feel. I think part of it's just colored by the fact I'm just a little salty to this day that we never actually got Smallville Superman in the suit. And I think it's coloring my impression here. I do think it's a good send off for the character. I just still really wanted to see him in the suit. There is a possibility that you're going to see him in the suit in the next three episodes. There, Just don't go away with he, you're never going to see him in the suit. You don't know. He could have filmed one scene wearing a suit and it's part of a crisis battle or something like that. Tom Welling was only on set for one day. Could have been done. Yeah. Never know. Maybe there's hope. I think it's interesting that we get to see different types of Superman. Like on Earth-75, we get the Superman killed. They actually do the recreation of the comic book scene with Lois over him and Superman died. And it's really interesting how our Superman, the Earth-38 Superman, isn't the Paragon, but this other Clark Kent who has actually suffered even more. I mean, our the 38 Superman did lose Argo, but when we finally get to Earth-96, this is when we find Brandon Ralph Superman and he has indeed, this is, he's a combination of the Kingdom Come Superman with his own Superman from Superman Returns. And this episode made me like Superman again, just like overall, not just like a little bit here and there, but seeing each type of Superman, whether it was Tom Wellings or Hoechlin's or, or Ralph's, it made me realize what a good character Superman is, because the, what they've done is not Henry Cavill's fault, but what they've done actually have soured me on Superman. But this episode, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is this is what Clark Kent is. This is who he is. And I don't I know SP. I don't know how you feel, but I'm OK with the Henry Cavill Superman. I'm, I'm OK with that. That said. The Brandon Routh Superman, it was great. Seeing it, you know, I've watched Brandon Routh. He's been in several Hallmark Holiday movies, by the way, not just one. And we were watching him from an earlier one just last week. But seeing him as Superman, as he's aged and as he's matured as an actor, Brandon Routh as an actor, being able to come in and just command the role. He didn't mitigate Tyler at all as Superman. He complimented Tyler as a Superman and he 
just was so magnus on the screen as Superman. You just it, it was Superman. It, whatever you think about Superman Returns, Brandon Routh was Superman right here. The best Superman that I've seen in quite some time. Henry Cavill, I don't have a problem with. He's actually pretty good to watch for me. Christopher Reeve, if you're my age, Christopher Reeve is generally your Superman. And I think Brandon Routh in this episode just channeled not only Christopher Reeve, but himself as well and was able to bring it forward. It was a joy to watch. And it was a joy to watch for another reason, too, because Lex Luthor comes in and he has the two Superman fight each other. And instead of having the same actor fighting themselves on screen, which they do a lot, I mean, Brandon Routh had to do it on screen twice as Ray Palmer and Clark Kent. But the fight, you were able to see two different actors that have played Superman fight each other. And it just made it all better. It really was a, a good experience watching this episode. So going back a sec, this is a reminder of how good Superman can be done when people who understand the character of Superman are controlling and setting a story up for that character. Zack Snyder doesn't get Superman. I've said that since Man of Steel came out. I said it when uh, Batman v Superman came out. And then you saw it also in Justice League because there's such a cognitive dissonance between what Joss Whedon did with Superman and what Zack Snyder did with Superman. Whedon got Superman. The big blue geeky Boy Scout that you saw in parts of Justice League that's the character. And Brandon Routh gets the character. Go back to when Superman Returns came out. It didn't fail because Brandon Routh was bad in the role. Brandon Routh was awesome in the role. He did a good job of taking what Christopher Reeves had done, because remember, Superman Returns takes place after Superman 2, and then giving it his own twist and its own taste. And he carried it on to this show on, uh, on the crossover here, and he's phenomenal in it. And they did confirm with interviews with Brandon Routh and interviews with the showrunners, he said the only way he was going to put the suit back on is if the Superman he was being was the Superman from Superman Returns. So what we have here is the is the continuing story of the Superman we got on the big screen with moderations similar to what happened in Kingdom Come, things like that. But he is the same Superman we got in Superman Returns. Everything that happened in those movies happened to this Superman. He even references his son Jason at one point in this show, which is the only place Jason has shown up with Superman Returns. Brandon Routh, was amazing in the role. He showed why he was cast originally in the role in the movies, and he's just phenomenal. And as I watched this, I went, man, I know they're going to do this Superman and Lois show with the Earth-38 Superman and Lois, but I don't know. I think I would rather see Brandon Routh come back and be Superman on the small screen because he was that good. It's not taking away from what Tyler Hoechlin's been doing with the role. It's just Brandon Routh was amazing in it, and it's something I never expected to see was him getting another chance as Superman, because that was one of the things I really was bummed about after Superman Returns is, while I had my issues with the movie, it was never how he portrayed the character. And I felt like Brandon Routh kind of got a raw deal after Superman Returns came out and got panned, and it wasn't his fault. He was phenomenal in the role, and he got to show why he was cast again in the small screen. Phenomenal. I, I It just blew my mind. I loved it. I think we really got to see these great Superman because we have writers who did 13 episodes of Smallville. And I think this is a case of when you get the right writers, like they got Superman right, they got Batwoman right, because they've written Batwoman and they wrote Smallville. And I think that's probably why we even got a reference to Superman 3 when he said, like, this is the second time I went nuts and fought myself. That was Superman 3, correct? I believe so, yes. Mm-hmm. 
And then the music, we had like a little Batman music, we had a little Superman music. It's great. They actually got to use the Superman theme, and that was something folks had asked Mark Guggenheim about on Twitter. And at one point in time, he'd said they didn't have the rights to be able to use it. And I think like a week before Crisis, he said, hey, that might have changed now. Stay tuned. And everyone's like, oh, what are they going to do with it? And I, I fully admit, I got chills when you got the Superman theme with Brandon Ralph. And you're like, holy crap. That's right. He is Superman. Whoa. This is awesome. <laughs> so another thing that I thought was hilarious was the lowest from the CW shows, you know, that's with Tyler Hawkland is enamored with every single Superman she comes in contact with. Every single Clark Kent, every single Superman. So yeah, Lois has a thing for Superman no matter what universe it is. And speaking of Superman, I know it's very interesting that John Cryer coming back as Lex Luthor. If you haven't seen Supergirl, uh, what got me is that he got to be more Lex Luthery in this episode than he ever got to be in Supergirl. So I was actually pleased with that. I don't know how you feel about his Lex Luthor, but he was actually given more Lex Luthery things to do in this episode than his entire run of Supergirl. I enjoyed his character on Supergirl when he was on it. Like they alluded to it. Didn't you die? So he was technically killed in Supergirl, but they brought him back for the crossover and he's back and better than ever and literally back and better than ever yeah i think his character has evolved to the point where he might have been studying up on his lex luther and just able to channel it and then make it his own too because i couldn't take his portrayal of lex luther and then attribute it to anybody in the past i think he's really done a great job of it all on his own and he is i've seen him in other stuff too he's a great actor and i just love what he's done with the role i don't have a thing against lex luther we have issues with the storyline of Supergirl, but that's for another podcast. All right, Chris, anything else about this hour of crisis do you want to talk about? Oh, boy. Um, I've been geeking out a lot. I'm trying to see if there's anything I missed. Uh, alternate Mick Rory, he's delightful. You had me a beer. <laughs> he was great the whole time reading the adult novel to Jonathan, and Jonathan loved him. Jonathan... I don't know what is with babies and bad guys, but they just seem to love him and he hammed that up. It was great. I love Les Luthor's Super Friends comment as well. That was mm -hmm. great because I grew up with Super Friends. I did, so I loved it. I, one part I did forget that I really liked until I went back and rewatched it. You've got when uh, Brandon Routh Superman shows up on the Wave Rider and you have Kara that comes in. She kind of gives him like this side eye, almost appreciative glance for a second. You have uh, Tyler Hawkland's Superman go, Kara, that's your cousin or something to that effect. That was also delightful because I'm pretty sure everyone was looking at Ralph in the suit and was like, damn. <laughs> that was good. I'm surprised you didn't mention it, Michelle. We got a Jonah Hex. Well, I did. Yeah. When we were complaining about the Lazarus pit, we brought him up there. <laughs> All right. I just went ran over there. Okay. It was great to see Jonah Hex. I loved it. By the way, have you guys watched all the way to the end and seen the end credits, the very end end credits? No. You got to make it all the way to the end, and it's very difficult to do it on the app, by the way, because you got to fast forward all the way to the end. They did a phenomenal job of combining all of the different symbols from all of the shows into one short little GIF or blurb or video or whatever, but it even included the Warner Brothers symbol, so you just got to go back and you got to watch it. I did not catch it in the first episode that we talked about last time. 
I don't know if it's in all of these crisis episodes or not, but it's special. It's a definitely a different exit than before. You have the bat symbol, you have Superman symbol, you have all the stuff in there. So it's, it's great. And is there anything else? One other thing I forgot to mention that I really liked, uh, when Brandon Routh was playing two roles on the Bridge of the Wave Rider at the same time, when he was being both Ray and Superman, and they were throwing comments back and forth between each other, talking about like food allergies and stuff, trying to see if they carried over between Earth, and then they're like, oh, they're just doppelgangers. Just because they look the same doesn't mean they are the same, but that was delightful, having those two go back and forth, and anything with Brandon Routh in this crossover, I've enjoyed the hell out of so far. SP, any last thoughts? I was more at home with this episode than I was the first episode. First episode I mentioned last week was very rapid, was very in your face, was almost too fast a pacing for me to keep track of everything. And even on the second watch through, I had issues with the pacing. There's just so much happening that you don't really get a grasp of the magnitude of everything that's happening. This one was more of a CW show speed. Might have been a little too slow, maybe, but it was a lot better paced for me to keep track of everything that was going on. Uh, and I was looking forward at this point to seeing where they were going to give the cliffhanger on episode three, especially with Oliver already having died in episode one of the car part one of the crossover. This is part two. So I was wondering what is the hangover hangover? What is the, what is it called? Not hangover cliffhanger. Yeah, what is the cliffhanger going to be in episode three? And I was just trying to prognosticate it. Now, I've watched it, so I can't say what my speculations really were. But it is something if you're watching through it and you're watching the second one and you realize that it's going to be a month before the next one comes out. You're like, oh, what am I going to be speculating on for a month? And we'll get that next episode. Let's see. The only two things that disappointed me for this hour was the whole Oliver Lazarus Pit side quest. And then all of a sudden, Harbinger gets transported and we finally see the answer monitor. Why? How? We don't really get that in this. And I think that's a big plot point. But the whole world's finest going to meet the battle hardened Batman, I enjoyed. And of course, everything about Superman in this episode. And if you don't know me very well, the fact that I'm saying I like all the Superman stuff in this episode is a lot. The one thing I'll say about the Monitor and Anti-Monitor, if you didn't watch the After Crisis show, they did allude to some of the backstory and when we're going to see it. So they, they didn't not bring it in, but there's going to be flashbacks in the future. Well, okay. Maybe they'll be in part three. Who knows? Because that's what we're going to be talking about next time. Crisis on Infinite Earths Part 3, which is Flash Season 6, Episode 9. It aired Tuesday, December 10th, 2019. Pariah enlists Black Lightning to help stop the Anti-Monitor after Flash 90 shares what he learned from his battle in Elseworlds. With the help of Black Lightning, Barry, Sisko, and Killer Frost come up with a plan that could save them all. Meanwhile, Iris has a heart-to-heart -heart with Ryan Chow, while Oliver and Diggle return to an old familiar stomping ground. Directed by David Mc. Porter and written by Lauren Serto and Sterling Gates with a story by Eric Wallace. Live from the Starling Tribune Earth 2 Shelter on Earth 1. Now with a bunch of Earth 38 people, it's the weekly news roundup with chief news anchor Michelle Ely. And now Michelle Ely.
Well, I always like to keep people up to date with schedules and the CW has revealed when our shows are going to come back from winter hiatus. Now, of course, we know that Crisis will wrap up on January 14th with an episode of Arrow and that odd episode of Legends of Tomorrow. After that, the official premiere dates are the following. Batwoman, January 19th at 8 p.m. Supergirl, January 19th, 9 p.m. Black Lightning, January 20th, 9 p.m. Arrow, January 21st, 8 p.m. Legends of Tomorrow, January 21st, 9 p.m. And The Flash, February 4th, 8 p.m. Good to know. We also had a lot of feedback from our last episode. A lot of people are watching Crisis and a lot of people are concerned about the Starling Tribune, it turns out. So we're just going to get over some feedback that we received in the past week. The first was Jeremy from Transmissions Podcast, which is a Transformers podcast. But he was on a Discord server and he is listed as Yakko Doctor, Yakko Doctor G, I believe. Anyway, he said... Here's a pretty interesting interview with Brandon Routh on the crossover and his time as Ray and Superman. It was a very interesting YouTube video. I think I'm the only one out of the three of us to actually watch it all the way through. And I got one insight from that that we definitely have to talk about. If you're interested in Brandon Routh, if you really liked how he portrayed Superman, it aired after the second episode of the crossover. That's when they recorded it. So you feel free at this point in time to go listen to it and you won't be spoiled at all. Brandon Routh did a very great job of talking about all the stuff that he had to talk about without talking about any spoilers. The one thing that he mentioned, though, is both him and his wife who are on Legends of Tomorrow, it wasn't their choice to leave Legends of Tomorrow. So that's kind of a news item. And I didn't see it really picked up anywhere. I don't think we talked about the fact that it wasn't their choice to leave. I think in the past, the episodes that they had any news stories that they had actually came out with, they just said, hey, it was time for us to leave. But this was interesting because he was pretty adamant about saying it wasn't our choice to leave and we would love to continue playing the characters in the future. So I don't know. What do you guys think about that? I just remember in the news items, the producers saying that Ray and Nora's story had wrapped up and it almost seems as though either A, we don't know what else to do with them or B, they're really popular and we might have to pay them more or C, well, there really is no C. I think it's either A or B. Yeah, I think you're right. It, it's a shame to see the character go because one Ray is one of the last original, original, excuse me, legends that we had on the show. And we've all kind of enjoyed Ray and Nora on there. And it's got to be kind of fun for them to work on a show together when they're married. I wish he wasn't leaving. And exactly what the interview says doesn't sound like it was his idea. And when you reference the news story like Michelle did, it sounds again like it was a production and story room driven mandate, not necessarily anything from the actors being like, oh, we're out. We're tired of doing this. So. Hopefully it doesn't mean there's any ill will and the door remains open for a potential return down the line. I don't know. Or maybe he's leaving to go do a Superman show. Maybe that's what's going to happen now, right? Maybe he's going to film the Superman movies for Warner Brothers now. That would be great if they'd go back to that. They seem to be undoing most of the Zack Snyder influence stuff, but I really doubt they're going to go back to Ralph in the suit. He could pull it off now, though. I mean, this is not something that he couldn't pull off. He could pull it off. But all due respect to him, Henry Cavill can too, and I wouldn't mind getting to see him do an actual Superman movie where the character is recognizable as Kal-El of Krypton. 
Brandon Ross is such a talented actor. He doesn't have to have anything to do with superheroes for the rest of his career and he'll still be successful. He's a really good actor at whatever he does. He can play the Boy Scout. He does it well. Does it well on Hallmark holiday channels. But we've seen him being evil too because we got Evil Ray on the show. We saw Evil Him and Chuck also. And I enjoyed some of the comments on the Arrow subreddit where people were talking about, yeah, I uh, I watched Brandon Routh as uh, the evil agent in Chuck. And they go, it made me hate him so much. I have to take a break between watching that and Legends when I start going back and rewatching stuff I like. If I watch Chuck, I have to wait at least three months before I can watch episodes of Legends of Tomorrow because he comes on screen and I'm automatically like, I hate him. <laughs> yeah. Well, we also on Facebook got a lovely message from a listener, Anthony McDowell. Anthony said, I am sad that the Starling Tribune is about to shut down. Y'all's coverage of the show, plus the one-shots and other stuff Yuns do, is fantastic. Just listened to Purgatory, which was the last full episode of Era Before the Crossover, and thought I would mention that on Voodoo, you can buy the bundles of Invasion and Crisis on Earth X. They haven't got Elseworlds bundled yet, but hopefully they do. And obviously, I hope eventually they get Crisis on Infinite Earths bundled too. Thanks. I appreciate y'all. It's been fun listening to y'all's coverage and looking forward to these last little bit of episodes. Thanks. So for the last two episodes, I've gone on here and I have said there is no chance, no place that you're going to be able to get these episodes bundled together after this airs. And it looks like I might be wrong. I don't know. We'll have to see if these show up on Voodoo or not. But it was great to learn that the other crossovers are on Voodoo, too. I'll probably actually grab those to be able just to watch them from in the order that they're in rather than having to go on Netflix and search out the episode that they're on and stuff like that. So I thought this was great. Anthony, it was so great to hear from you. Yes, we will miss the Starling Tribune as well. We just felt it was a great time to end the show. All all good things, right, Chris? All good things? Yeah, season 7, episode 22, Next Generation, right? <laughs> exactly. But thank you so much. We're really touched by your words. There was a Reddit post that listener to the show, what, what, let me look, let me look, at the Chris Farrell on our Discord server. Guy's a schmuck. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is our co-host, Chris. It's not something, somebody pretending to be Chris, that was actually Chris. It's my doppelganger. Anyway, we talked last time about Earth 2046. And we talked about how it might have been a great way to wrap up any dangling loose threads from that, especially with the future Earths we have in Arrow this season and last season. And as it turns out, Chris, maybe not so much. Yeah, so the folks on the Arrow subreddit, they're generally a bit more critical or analytical than I am. I would lean more towards critical because of some of the stances I've seen on there. But they diagnosed why they might not have actually fixed the plot hole introduced in Star City 2046. The post said specifically, Star City 2046 can't be the same Earth featured in Legends of Tomorrow. I know Sarah said the Waverider jumped dimensions, but she has to be wrong. Go back to Legends Season 1, Episode 6. Sarah meets future Oliver, and he says, 30 years ago, you and Ray hopped on a spaceship and you never came back. In Crisis Part 1, they meet alternate Oliver and he says, you're dead. You, you went down with the gambit. So the poster theorizes Earth-16 is an alternate Earth that's very similar to Earth-2046, but Sarah actually died on the gambit. She never got on the Amazo, joined the League, or came back to Star City. Star City-2046 
however, was a potential future for Earth-1 that has since been avoided. I always assumed that that was the path it took itself, was that that future was averted, but I'm glad other people think that, and yeah, I'm glad they brought up that specific line from Legends Season 1, because that does make it unlikely that the Oliver Queen we met in Crisis from the Future is the same from Legends of Tomorrow. It kind of got thrown off a little bit because Earth 16, the episode uh, 2046, was aired in 2016. So you figured it was the same Earth. And as it happens, it might have been a parallel Earth that was very much the same as 2046, but not the exact same. I don't. It's so hard to tell at this point, but there is a continuity error in there. And I'm a little surprised they didn't catch it if they meant it to be the same 2046 that Sarah and the Wave Rider visited. It seemed like their intent was to make it the same Earth that we had seen already, even though Oliver's costume wasn't quite right, and he wasn't—he was younger than the Oliver from Star City 2046 looked in the episode of Legends. There's other folks in the subreddit that took screen caps of Stephen Amell in his old age makeup and said he looks a lot older in the Legends episode than he did here. So either we're all being really nitpicky, or that was a future that's been averted, and then Earth 16 is just an alternate Earth. After the Crisis crossover, I have no idea where it's going to end up. We're a little bit off script, as Michelle has mentioned before with the comics. It's a little bit different story. I don't know if it's going to end up the same way or not as the comics. So we'll see. And we'll see if any of these Earths exist in the future or if we're at a different stage in the DCCW universe. Right. That's the big thing is once they're done with Crisis, this might not even matter because theoretically these events may not have happened anymore. Who knows? Which is an issue. I meant to bring it up in the podcast in the main topic, but I might as well talk about it now. The Book of Destiny, last year when we were dealing with the Book of Destiny, it was very specific who could actually use it. And even Supergirl couldn't fully use it. You had to have Superman come in and use it. And now even Lois is able to use it. I'm a, what is going on? They didn't really use it, use it. If you notice that Iris and Lois, they were trying and they couldn't do it. And it was as though the Book of Destiny sort of gave Lois a way to have Clark hear her because she knows Cal-El no matter what Earth. Lois understands Clark Kent and she gives the speech about what would your Lois, your Jimmy Olsen, your Perry White want you to do? They would want you to choose love. They would want you to choose hope. And because with the speech, and I think the Book of Destiny allowed her, because if you notice, you know, it took Brandon Ralph Superman a little bit to actually come out of it. It really wasn't Iris and Lois rewriting the Book of Destiny. It was basically giving them the power to get through to that Clark. That's fair. Mm-hmm. I just hope they don't go willy-nilly on it. I guess Lex Luthor is one of the most intelligent men in the universe, in any universe. So I, I took it. That's why he was able to look at the book. But I had questions about everybody else. Okay, so the Iris and Lois thing is solved for me. But I'll have to keep a close eye and see if they keep any sort of continuity with that thing or not. Okay. Sorry to take us back there, but thank you for all the great feedback. We got some great feedback from Chris. Um, That's kind of cheating, buddy. You can't get a mention as a feedback in as a co-host to the episode. It's from my doppelganger. Right. From which Earth? Earth 17 and a half. 
I know we really didn't even talk about Felicity in the Book of Guardians, which is another Green Lantern. Yeah, okay. So thank you very much, Jeremy. Thank you very much, Anthony. Thank you very much, everybody who has commented, even on the Starling Tribune channel on our Discord server, because you guys have made this all fun. I know we're kind of in a lull, but there's plenty of speculation to have, and we will be lifting the spoiler tag for episode three after we podcast next time and that everything will be in full discussion before part four and part five come out next year, next year, guys, it's still next year. I mean, wow. At least it's not like, um, Oh, the long hiatuses in between the end of Battlestar Galactica or I mean, there's been some long hiatuses. Yeah. What was it like 18 months between Battlestar season one and season two, something like that? Well, it's the last two seasons that were long because of the writer's strike. They had to gen up production to that again, too. And, you know, HBO's uh, what was that mafia thing? The Sopranos. That was like two years between the last two seasons. And yeah, things can get a lot worse than just a month, but we can say it's next year because technically it's 2019 to 2020. So it makes it sound longer than it really is. That being said, it is time for us to start wrapping things up this week. So big thank you to our live listeners over on the Geeks.Live chat room. I did see Liberty Dude there today, so thank you for joining us. Also, a thank you to everyone who downloads the audio episodes or catches the video replays over at youtube.com slash geek. Don't forget, you can get the audio back catalog over at starringtribune.com over on Spreaker, and like I mentioned, the video replays on YouTube. If you happen to be able to get on Discord, and you can go to gunnageek.com slash Discord and just join our Discord server and take part in all of these conversations. Remember, you can also join us live as Liberty Dude has today and join our live chat at www.geeks.live. We record 7.30 p.m. Eastern, 4.30 p.m. Pacific on Thursdays. Obviously, with the holidays coming up, we'll be taking some weeks off, but we'll get those to you in a later time, what weeks we're going to take off. But yes, thank you very much for joining us, Liberty Dude. We would love to hear from you. We are the Starling Tribune on Facebook and Instagram at Starling Tribune on Twitter, and you can call us at 612-888-CAVE. That's 612-888-2283. Well, this brings us to the end of another great episode. Any last words before we sign off? At Stargate Pioneer. Hashtag Paragon Detector. At the Chris Farrell. Hashtag It's Babysitter Mick Hoss. And I am at Michelle Ely signing off with hashtag I like Superman again. Oracle, I think we're done here. This was the Starling Tribune. You can leave us feedback at gunnageek.com or check out our archive at starlingtribune.com. Visit gunnageek.com for more podcasts. Music by Kevin McLeod can be found at incompetech.com. This podcast is not produced or maintained by the CW, Warner Brothers Television, CTV, or DC Comics. All characters, stories, and situations are the property of Time Warner. No infringement is intended. We will see you for the next episode of CW's Arrow.